Let's pray. Right, let's pray then. Heavenly Father, as we look at this word this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us. We pray that we might meet with Jesus this morning. Amen. Well, we're in this series in Matthew's Gospel. And the big question for us is, in this series, who is Jesus? So I've got two questions for us, two overarching questions for us this morning. Firstly, who or what is this man Jesus and what's our image of this man Jesus? And secondly and subsequently, why did Matthew write this account? Now we know, don't we, that there's been a decline in Christianity within our country. But we can take heart, though, in the fact that Jesus hasn't changed. The truth of the gospel is still the same today as it was 2,000 years ago, as recorded in the Bible in Matthew's gospel. But perhaps for encouragement, we do need to go back to basics. We need to look at Jesus again. What did he do? What did he say? How did he act? Who did he call and deliver in his day? So, my first question then for us is, what is our image of Jesus? As you sit here this morning, what image do you have of Jesus? Because what we believe is going to affect how we live and how we witness to him. I was privileged a couple of weeks ago to spend a couple of weeks in Peru, in a country where 75% of the population claimed to belong to the Catholic Church. And there, in their churches and monasteries that we visited, we saw a lot of images of Jesus. Is this your image of Jesus? What about this one? the child who was brought up by two parents. Or what about this one? This one perhaps is more traditional, perhaps it's what we hold in our eye as the image of Jesus. Or what about this one? This is the more traditional high church or Catholic church view of Jesus on the cross. But what about this one? This one is totally different And we saw many statues of Jesus and they were clothed in skirts, in dresses, wearing a whole variety of clothing. And so I asked our guide, why this? Why have they done this in their churches? And I was told, so that the people can identify with him. It brought Jesus closer to them. Well, we may not agree with these representations, but if the writings of the Gospels are to come alive, we have to have some image, don't we, within our minds. Because Jesus wasn't a vague spiritual being with no form. No, he was born a child. He grew into a man who lived in a practical existence in that first century Palestine a man who was crucified and rose from the dead. 
Well, I believe that the passage we've got, and we are going to get, don't worry, into Matthew's gospel, is an encouragement to us because it gives us an impression and we meet Jesus again. And through this passage, we see something of his character. So let's have a look then at what Matthew says. We says he is a man who acts with authority. He has compassion. He sees beyond the judgment of his religious society. And as we seek to live and follow Jesus, to share in his calling to us to go and make disciples of all people, we can be encouraged by this. Because if you look at this passage, if you look at verses 9 to 13, we see that Jesus calls unlikely people. He calls outsiders to follow him. Look at verse 9. We see he calls Matthew, an outsider from that religious community. He was an outsider because he'd made his profession, he'd made his work to be a tax or a revenue collector for the hated Roman authorities. And so, in the Jewish eyes, that would have made him a traitor to the people. He he worked for the occupying forces. On top of that, the tax collectors were hated because they were corrupt. They took more money from the people than the taxes actually required. They also, of course, would have been what they were actually doing was they were ripping people off. And of course, because of this, they were often seen to be wealthier people than the others. And so, he was an outsider to that society. But of course, he did have some other skills as well. He certainly could read and write, and he could probably do some simple maths as well. All useful skills for a disciple. But Jesus here sees more in Matthew than the local Pharisees did. They saw a man who was spiritually unclean. They're not part of their religious group. Well, Jesus looks into the heart of Matthew and he offers him the chance of becoming one of his disciples. All Matthew had to do was to respond and give up his work give up his income, give up his lifestyle, and follow Jesus. It's quite a task, isn't it, set by Jesus. And nothing is actually made of this in this text here. But it must have been a complete change. It presented the risk to Matthew of not having the security of a well-paid income. Well, surely this morning, we can be encouraged that Jesus calls unworthy people to come and follow him. But of course, there's always a price to pay. There's always a price to pay. Matthew had to give up his good wages, his lifestyle. But it should be an encouragement to us Because if Jesus was able to call this man, a man who was hated, a man who was a traitor, he can call any one of us. There is no one here, no one in our local community, no one in Norwich, no one in England that can't be called 
by Jesus. But we do need to be reminded it's Jesus that's doing the calling. And so we see in these verses 9 and 10 that he calls unlikely people. But we see also here that he mixes with unlikely people. Now we see something else of the character of Matthew in verse 10. We see that he's generous and hospitable because he puts on this large meal for a large number of people. And it's quite a mix of people here, isn't it? We read that there are tax collectors. We read that there are sinners. And we read also that there are followers of Jesus. So it's a bit like us here at church or here in our home group, inviting the local corrupt traders, the drug dealers, the antisocial people, and then inviting the rest of the home group or the rest of the church. There would be a tremendous mix of people, language, and experience. But what do they do? They ate together. And in doing so, we need to understand what Jesus is doing here. Because Jesus is identifying with them and what they stand for. Jesus is not morally standing aloof, judging them as the Pharisees would have done and we might be tempted to do as well. This action of Jesus and his followers, of course, generates a response from these pious religious leaders, the Pharisees. They, as such, don't, in this passage, challenge Jesus. But they do challenge the disciples, why do you all corrupt yourselves, they say, by mixing with sinners? In other words, why are you becoming defiled by mixing with people who are not pure and holy? Well, hearing this question, Jesus gives the answer, doesn't he? He defines his ministry and describes how his followers are to act. Look at verses 12 to 14. On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to call all those who are separated from God by their actions and lifestyles. And so, we see from this passage this morning that Jesus came to call those on the outside of that religious society, those that were identified as sinners and who were defiled and not pure. Well, surely, this is a challenge for each one of us here, and it's a challenge for us as a church. Who should we be sharing Jesus with? Where should the focus be for our spreading the gospel that Jesus has the answers for all of mankind's needs? Well, surely, it should be those that are physically, spiritually, and socially in need. Those that are on the edge of our society. Those that are not socially accepted. Those that recognize that they are separated from God by their actions and lifestyles. The people that we read of in this chapter knew they had a need. They knew they were defiled, unclean, or damaged. So who then is this, de- is this Jesus? What's our image of him? Well, he is one that mixes with and calls unlikely people. 
But we read more of this in this passage about Jesus and his character. Look at verses 18 to 33. Firstly, we see the compassion of Jesus. We see the compassion of Jesus and we see the power and authority of Jesus over the natural world. We see this in these healing ministries. Look at verse 18. We've got the ruler, a man of authority whose daughter has died. Well, she's restored to life by Jesus. In verse 20, we've got the healing of a woman who is outcast from her society. These religious leaders claimed that she was unclean because she'd got a flow of menstrual blood for 12 years. And this would have caused anyone who came into contact with her to become defiled within their system. Well, she was healed by her touching Jesus' clothes. Jesus accepted her touch and gave her healing because of her faith. And then we've got in verses 27 to 29, the healing of the two blind men. Verse 32, we've got the demon-possessed man who was released from his demonic possession and restored to being able to speak again by, by Jesus. <coughs> so these miracles demonstrate the power and authority of Jesus over the natural world and the spiritual world. They show us that Jesus was able to restore people back to health. He had power to do so. Well, do we believe this? And if we do, what does this say to us? How does it affect us and our faith? Can Jesus still do the same today? Now, I was brought up in a Christian uh, background by a group of people who very much believed in the Bible. And so these miracles were accepted. Why were they accepted? They were accepted because it was in the Bible. But it was left there in Judea in the first century. There was no expectation that God could still do the same things today through his people. Why was this? Well, I think primarily because the people had fear that if we pray for people's healing, some may not receive healing. So they wouldn't pray for healing because people might get hurt or disappointed and it might reflect badly on God. But this leads us, of course, to a God who is powerless in the modern world and the witness that comes from changed lives is lost. And we need to be reminded what Jesus said to his followers. If you go to John 14, verse 12 to 14, Jesus says this, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Matthew gives us this diverse group of people and how Jesus meets their needs. But they do have something in common, don't we? As we look down this list of miracles, then what we have in common, of course, is faith. They believed that Jesus could meet their needs and heal them. So in verse 22, the woman has faith that Jesus could heal her. Verse 18, the ruler comes in faith to Jesus, stating that Jesus will heal his daughter. Verse 28 and 29, Jesus asks the blind men, do they believe 
that he can heal them. And so, what do we see in this passage? We see that Jesus recognizes faith and responds to it. Now, there are two, uh, two possible responses to this. There's a positive response and there's a negative response. The positive response is seen by the effect on the crowd. The crowd are amazed at what Jesus does and what has happened. But we also see a negative response here. And the negative response, of course, comes from the religious people, the Pharisees, because they try to corrupt what Jesus is doing by claiming that Jesus' power comes from the devil. In other words, comes from the evil one. So how then do we respond? Because there's a choice, isn't it, for us to make. Either Jesus' power and authority comes from God and it's good, or it comes from the other spiritual power, the evil one. So the question rises, of course, then, why did Jesus heal these people? Why did he heal them physically, mentally, and spiritually? Well, surely for three reasons. Because he has compassion, because it displayed his power and authority, and because it was a witness to those around him that he was God's son. And so we see that the compassion of Jesus here is the theme of Matthew's gospel. Why was Jesus compassionate, though? Well, surely because he was filled with God's Holy Spirit. And likewise, this is what Jesus commends us as well. What does Jesus tell us that we must do? We must love God with all our hearts and with all our minds and our neighbours as ourselves. Now, of course, this is a very difficult task. But we can receive help in this by letting his Holy Spirit fill us on a daily basis, submitting to Jesus each day. This compassion, of course, will then lead us to take actions and prayer. It will motivate us to go out into our neighbourhood to pray for people. It will motivate us to help people. It will motivate us to share the love of Jesus with them in practical ways. Many examples, of course, of, of this are seen in history. Of course, if we offer prayers for healing, it means that we're putting ourselves at risk. We're opening up ourselves because healing won't necessarily happen for all. As we read the Gospels, we see that not all people are healed from disease. Otherwise, we would be told so. But Jesus does heal many, of which there are, some of which there are no records. But the fact remains, there must have been people who weren't healed at this time. But we need to be reminded that miracle working and healing is God's work. It's not done in our strength or ability. But this doesn't mean that we shouldn't offer opportunities for prayer, for healing. God is sovereign and can work through his followers. Remember that statement that was written in John 14. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and will do even greater things than these. But it also says that we should pray for God's glory because this is not done to make ourselves great, but for God's glory to be a witness to the world. Now, of course, 
we don't understand why people are not healed. But we need to recognize, of course, that God is sovereign and that God gives us all time on earth. The Bible teaches us there's time to be born, a time to live and a time to die. Each person has a time given. We just don't know for how long. But we do know from this passion, from this passage, that Jesus shows compassion. He wants his followers to do the same. So healing ministries raises difficult questions, but we are called as followers of Jesus to do as he did. So, from this passage, we see that Jesus demonstrates practical love for, his pe- for the people. He shows power and authority over the physical and spiritual world. He demonstrates the Father's will. Well, is this our image of Jesus today? And so my second question, subsidiary question, was this. Why did Matthew write this account? Well, surely so that we may be encouraged and believe in Jesus who calls us and others to offer healing and his spirit. But not only is it an encouragement to us, surely it's a challenge to us as well. It's a challenge to us as well. First challenge is this. Are we individually and corporately as a church obeying Jesus' commands? Remember what he said in John 14. Are we willing also to accept that Jesus calls unlikely people? Because if he calls unlikely people, it's likely to affect us and our church. Are we showing practical compassion to those in need within our local area? Do we believe and have faith in Jesus that today, by his Holy Spirit, he can heal both physically, spiritually, and emotionally through prayer? Do we believe in Jesus as portrayed by Matthew within our image of Jesus? That evangelical conservative Bible uh, writer, John Stott, said this when, uh, about Jesus' command to go into the world and help all sorts of people. He said this, Our failure to obey the implications of this command is the greatest weakness of evangelical Christians in the field of evangelism today. He added, We tend to proclaim the message from a distance. We sometimes appear like people who who shout advice to the drowning man from the safety of the seashore. We don't dive in to rescue them. We are afraid of getting wet. Well, let us not, in this season, be afraid of getting wet. Let us join together as a community here and go out together into our local area, our local parish, serving Jesus and bringing his love and compassion to all who don't follow him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage in Matthew's Gospel. We thank you for the image of Jesus that we are given the Son of God who had compassion on all those that were suffering, the Son of God who was prepared to die for us. 
which is what we're coming to celebrate later this morning. Amen.